Studio. This is the Unnerved Banter. Welcome back to the Unnerved Banter. It's the show where we discuss topics that are strange, terrifying, and sometimes just plain silly. I'm your host, Chris Fricky. And if you're more used to our story episodes, this is a little bit different. It's more of a conversational platform. And this week, we'll be discussing the disturbing story of Elmer McCurdy and also the mysterious bloop heard around the world. And this week, I'll be joined again by Jeremiah. And uh, we had a lot of fun recording this episode, and we hope you guys enjoy it also. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Welcome back to the Unnerved Banter. We have Jeremiah back with us. Welcome back, Jer. Good to have you. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me back. I'm sad, Chris. Why are you sad, bud? I'm sad because you and Shelby did such a good job. I don't know if you want me here anymore. On the last banter, well, you know, Shelby stepped in. That doesn't mean she's taking over. You know, she was happy to do it, you know, so you could do what you had to do. And we're excited to have you back. So, oh, thanks. It's it's meant to be. Tell that to Shelby last night when she was here with a, a knife trying to off me. Oh, is that what happened? Yeah, she was like, the banter is mine. I wonder where she was. Well, it's good to be back, Chris. I'm thankful. I love it. And I'm ready to I'm ready to to banter with you. Good. Let's banter. Let's get into it. Just a little update for everyone listening. If you're used to more crisp uh sounding audio, I'm currently in a, a storage shed. So I'm I just a little update there, a creepy storage shed. And it should add to the vibe. At least I'm creeped out. But the quality may be worse. But, you know, got to work with what you have. Um, I'm currently in a storage shed because that's just how life works sometimes. Sometimes you're in a nice area to record and other times you're, you know, kidnapped and brought to a storage shed. But I'm fine. I'm fine. It's okay. Yeah. Don't worry. The authorities have been notified and we will bring Chris back. Yeah. When they find me. Who knows when that will be, though. All right. Well, with that, we're going to get into today's topic. Today, I am going to be telling you the story of... A Sir Elmer McCurdy. And you've never heard this story, correct? I have not that I know of. Maybe. Okay. You you might know it once I tell it to you, but I will definitely know it once you tell it to me. But that is true. That's true. Okay, tell me about this this uh Elmer McCurdy. Elmer Elmer Fudd. In nineteen seventy six, a horrifying discovery was made at the New Pike Amusement Park in Long Beach. A camera crew for the television show The Six Million Dollar Man was visiting the park to film a scene in the funhouse. Have you ever heard that show before? A scene in the funhouse? No, no, no. The Six Million Dollar Man. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) You have? You've watched it? I've watched a scene in the funhouse, but I have not watched Six Million Dollar Man. Okay. Well, The Six Million Dollar Man... Is a is it's a great seventies show. It's got, you know, the waka 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 waka. I don't <laughs> kind know. of music. I do not know. But 
<laughs> okay, it's got very 70s style music and they use like a ridiculous amount of slow-mo shots, kind of like in uh, Bollywood films. And so it's just fantastic. It's actually a good time. So if you ever think of it, look up the $6 million man. It's a treat. So this film crew, they're in this funhouse and they're filming this scene for the $6 million man, which we've established. And so while preparing the set for filming, one of the crew members went to move what he thought was a mannequin. So a prop that was already there in the funhouse. You know, they're rearranging things for the scene. And this mannequin was hanging from a noose. So it's part of the attraction. It's, you know, to scare people. And when he moved it, one of its arms broke off. And it was not a mannequin. The TV crew were shocked that when the arm fell off, it clearly had real human bones inside the arm. Yikes. <laughs> That's not... I mean, a couple things come to mind here. One, what kind of fun house is this? <laughs> it's not so fun anymore. That doesn't sound fun at all. I was thinking like a bouncy house, you know? So the fun house, have you been to a fun house before? Apparently not. <laughs> it's more, I guess, a scare house. I don't know. I've only been to one fun house in my life. And there were definitely like like wacky like mirror rooms and you know it's just meant to be weird and strange but there's also some scary elements to the fun house i went to anyways and that's what was happening here this was part of the decorations or what have you and there was this mannequin that was hanging by a noose and uh yeah it was actually a real human corpse yeah it was also painted uh completely red uh, they had put like this glow in the dark red all over the body. So when you're going through the fun house, the lights that they used, kind of like black light, would re make it really glow and reflect. And it was just terrifying looking. So it was part of the attraction. So they were moving it around, arm broke off, and it's a real corpse. Like it's legit human bone. And it looks like decomposed, like old dried up flesh. So obviously they called police, the police came, they did an investigation, did tests on it. It was matched back to a Mr. Elmer McCurdy, who was an outlaw who had accomplished little while he was alive, but found much success as a sideshow attraction following his death. So if you'll allow me, we're going to rewind time here to find out who in the world was Elmer McCurdy and how did he end up in a funhouse here, I'll, I'll do it for you. Thank you for that sound effect. That was beautiful. I try. Elmer McCurdy was born to a single mother in Maine in 1880. His life got off to a bumpy start because McCurdy was raised by his mom, didn't have a dad in his life, so not a lot of guidance. And according to the New England Historical Society, as a teen, he developed a bad reputation as the town drunkard. When he was 20, his mother died and McCurdy left home to seek his fortune out west, taking on plumbing jobs and mining jobs. Both involve going down pipes digging for gold. <laughs> this guy's career is just going down the pipes, literally. Yeah, literally going down some kind of tube. And I really wonder what plumbing was like back then. Like, this yeah. is, at this point, it looks like, let's see, born 1880. This would be early 1900s. Hold on. I think I figured it out. 
What? It's all it's all the same thing. There was no pipes. They just all dug holes like down into the mine shaft and then put a some kind of, you know, outhouse over the hole. Ah. So he's a plumber and a miner. The two jobs go hand in hand. Yep. Yep, you do what you can making it, you know, out of a crappy situation. That's what you do. Making it in the 1880s. So that was his job, I guess. He was a he had a plumbing job and he did mining jobs, but ultimately didn't find much success in those things. Wasn't very good at it. He went from job to job. And then in 1907, he joined the army. As you do, you join the army, you learn some discipline and hopefully turn out to be a uh, more responsible human being. When he joined the army, he soon learned about the explosive properties of nitroglycerin. I guess that was his job. He was a bomb guy. And so this, after he left the military, played a crucial role into um, his next career choice, as it were. He chose a life of crime, and he didn't decide to go back into plumbing, which I think making bombs could be helpful in plumbing to an extent, and mining especially, but no. He decided to use his skills elsewhere and decided to do a life of crime. What I mean by that is McCurdy ended up in Oklahoma with no money and a drinking problem, as previously stated. And so he moved from town to town with his buddies, robbing banks and trains. McCurdy often operated as the explosive guy, in theory using nitroglycerin to melt down safes so the gang could access the money inside. But he wasn't very good at it. So first off, we're gonna stop right there. I thought nitroglycerin was like an explosive material. He's using it to melt safes. You know anything about nitroglycerin? Um, you know, not firsthand very much, but it is a liquid, if I remember correctly from the old West movies I used to watch. But it must be like a really harsh chemical too. And- yeah, I bet, just guessing, it might be that you can pour it on stuff and it's also highly corrosive and will melt through. Yeah. Or maybe he just was blowing up the safes and they said, oh, it's just, it's melting, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Probably not. I think it's funny that uh, when he got out of the army, he decided to do a life of crime. His friends are like, what you gonna do, Elmer? He's like, I'm gonna do a life of crime, boys. (laughs) (laughs) And that he did. (laughs) And that, and so anyways, Elmer. Yeah. Okay, (laughs) you carry on, Chris. You got this. Okay. All right. So, yeah, apparently nitroglycerin melts down safes. I don't understand that. I mean, y'all y'all can let us know what you think of that. I Let us know how nitroglycerin works, because clearly I don't. But anyway, so he's living his life of crime. And in 1911, McCurdy tried to rob a train near Lenape, Oklahoma. Unfortunately for him, the explosives that he used to open the train safe ended up melting the silver that he wanted to steal. So, you know, it didn't work out for him. Bummer. I hate when my nitroglycerin melts all of my precious metals and steel silver. Me Ah. too. So when he tried to rob a bank in Kansas next, he managed to break through the wall from the outside but the noise alerted the townspeople to the robbery who were inside, and he also couldn't get through. And then they were chased out of town. So 
another unsuccessful attempt. In October of that year, he and his buddies tried to rob another train in Oklahoma. They heard tale that there was a lot of money on this train that was in transport. Um, tons and tons of money. I don't have the exact number. I lost it, but it was life-changing amounts of money. However, McCurdy and his accomplices were wrong about the train's departure and arrived at the wrong time, ending up robbing the wrong train. It was a passenger train. So out of frustration, they decided to grab whatever they could from the passengers, and they were able to make off with $46 and two jugs of whiskey. McCurdy took his spoils and headed towards a hay barn on the Oklahoma border up against Kansas, where he eventually met his demise. So the police eventually caught up to McCurdy and found him hunkered down in the barn. And perhaps fueled by his stolen booze, McCurdy decided to fight. They shot at each other and the police eventually shot him in the chest where he died on October 7th. 1911. So his body was eventually then taken to a funeral home in the local area and it was preserved in arsenic. But because most of his family were dead anyways, and perhaps part due to his criminal behavior, no one came to claim the body. You know, imagine being this undertaker. He's given a body, you know, he preserves it. And he's waiting and waiting and waiting. No one's coming to claim it. I mean, I mean, it's the old West. I imagine there's bodies falling left and right. Like he's probably running out of room for this body. So word had passed throughout the town and people wanted to, I don't know, entertainment was a little different back then. Um, couples would come to the funeral home and ask to see the outlaw. He didn't want to at first, but then he started charging money. Like, okay, I'll do it for whatever, five cents, 10 cents, whatever. And then they'd go in the back and see the body, be amused, whatever. So this funeral home undertaker, he decided, you know what? I might as well make some money at this. So he brought the body out, stood it up, up against the wall inside of the funeral home. And he would charge money for people to come and observe the body. So he created kind of a side business out of this. People started paying, let's say 10 cents. They would take the money and put it in the mouth of Elmer. What the heck? I don't know if the undertaker would then collect the money at the end of the day. I don't know. Kind of sick. See, I'm wondering where I work currently, there's a there's a closing task list. And I'm wondering if some of this guy's employees like on the list, it's like dust the outlaw. Empty the outlaw's mouth. Make sure his clothes are adjusted. Straighten the outlaw's clothes. Maybe steam them. Yep. Just one of those side chores you do. Did you dust the outlaw? <laughs> okay, do that, and then you can leave. So Elmer's there for five years Jeez. in this funeral home, amusing everyone that comes by. A couple of carnival owners became interested in acquiring the mummified body so that they could display and profit from it themselves. While the undertaker refused to sell the body to anyone, the carnival owners suspected he would be willing to give it to Elmer McCurdy's relatives. Because that's why he held on to the body this whole time, is waiting for family. So then they showed up in disguise as Elmer's two brothers, and that they were there to pick up and claim Elmer McCurdy so that they could bring him back to his family. 
So the undertaker believed the lie and thought the men were going to lay McCurdy to rest. So instead, the carnival owners displayed the corpse throughout the United States as a sideshow, and the attraction was called the bandit who wouldn't give up. So he traveled the world as a bandit mummy. And uh, yeah, that's how his journey started. So eventually the carnival sold Elmer to several other show displays. He sold them to different owners throughout the years, throughout the decades. And so the mummy got into the hands of people seeking profit from it with a little sideshow, whether it's a display at a wax museum or other circuses, museums, and also haunted houses and fun houses. So after the camera crew stumbled upon the corpse in 1976, police identified him, as I said before, as Elmer McCurdy. And over six decades after his death, Elmer McCurdy was finally laid to rest at Summit View Cemetery in Guthrie, Oklahoma, putting an end to his bizarre afterlife as a sideshow attraction. What's interesting about this is we've seen a version of Elmer McCurdy in pop culture. Maybe you're even a fan, Jeremiah. Do you like He-Man, the cartoon? Um, no. I mean, yes, but I don't watch it. Right, but you're aware of it. I'm aware of it. The villain of He-Man is Skeletor. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure people have even seen memes of Skeletor, like his laugh. It's kind of iconic. Anyways, the creator of Skeletor, a Mr. Elmer McCurdy. Elmer McCurdy. (laughs) A Mr. Mark Taylor created Skeletor from an experience that he had as a child visiting that exact fun house. So when he saw this as a kid, it was terrifying to him. And he carried that thought of that man and a noose painted in red, glowing in the dark. He took that image of Elmer, and that was his actual inspiration to create Skeletor. Wow. That's pretty wild. In a way, you know, Elmer had quite the reputation. I mean, as an actual outlaw and human being, maybe not the best kind of guy, but... Um, and plumber? Terrible plumber. Terrible plumber, yeah. And terrible bomb expert, really just bad at everything he did. But man, he was really good at um, being an amusement at amusement parks and, uh, you know, scaring children. So that was fun. I I forgot to mention, too, one of the ways they identified who he was, the coins in his mouth. There were coins dated, of course, to give them an idea of how old it was. But also there were ticket stubs in his mouth so that they could trace where he had been throughout all the years. Are you kidding me? No, it's they were still in his mouth. How many ticket stubs and coins were in there? They just really stuffed them. <laughs> See, that's what I'm telling you. You got to have a closing task list. <laughs> Somebody needs to clean out Elmer's mouth every night. Otherwise, it's going to get too full. Maybe they just took like a, I don't know, they took like a stick and they just jammed it down his throat, so they just collected it. Jeez, yeah, no kidding. Oh, That's wild. Man. Yeah, so that was part of how they were able to actually trace him back. That's crazy. Yeah, I tried, and I'm still working on this, like a lot of little side investigations I'm trying 
to contact people involved in certain things, but I'm, I was trying to find the original crew member or at least someone on the crew of the $6 million man that was there when they bumped into Elmer and the arm broke off. Like I want to, you know, it was just the seventies. So I'm hoping people are still alive that I can contact and like actually question them about that day and what exactly happened um, to get their perspective on it. That would be really cool. So there's actually a few people. I have their numbers. I haven't called them yet, but I, I really want to get a hold of them and see if they could actually talk to me. So maybe it could be an actual story episode. On, oh, that'd be way their, cool. Yeah. Um, are there pictures of Elmer on the internet? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yep. There's photos of him before he was painted red um, and he was on display and whatnot. So yeah, there's pretty good you know documentation of this guy. I gotta see how big this mouth hole is. That's the thing. In some of the photos, like his mouth is shut. So I don't know if they were still able to like pry it open. Like I really, or perhaps that's not true. And the internet has just changed some details over time. But the internet doesn't lie to you. Never. Okay. Only truth. Then it's true. Then. That's a crazy story, huh? I guess the the point of the moral of all of this is never go in somewhere called a fun house. I can imagine myself as a child. I've got my cotton candy. I've got my my uh, candy necklace. A lot of candy, and I'm just mm-hmm. cruising around at a carnival, and I see a fun house. I go traipsing in there, and there's corpses hanging around. <laughs> Legitimate corpses. Be horrified. It's not fun. Yep, that's Elmer McCurdy. Now you know. What do you have for us, Jeremiah? You have a little, little something, something? I've got a, well, I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Um, we'll find out. Have you ever heard, Chris? And don't be scared. Have huh. you ever heard of the bloop? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard many bloops in my day, about <laughs> once a day usually. <laughs> the bloop. bloop. It's, uh, oh, God. it's pretty scary. Are you ready? Yeah. You ready to learn about the bloop? It, it's scary when the bloop makes the <laughs> cold water splash up and hit you. That is the most terrifying bloop <laughs> you can hear. <laughs> Elmer knew about that bloop. Elmer knew all about the bloop. <laughs> no, Chris, this is a much more terrifying bloop. I don't know. It's pretty, I mean, when it's cold, it's pretty terrifying. It is true. And there's a split second of fear. While you wait for the impact. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> this is arguably the biggest bloop in history. Oh, no. So this bloop happened to the South Pacific Sea. The Mariana Trench. Ever heard of it? No, I have not. Scary. Wait, you haven't? I don't think so. Are you serious? I don't know. Maybe. Chris, Chris how do you not know about the Mariana Trench? I probably will when you start talking about it. Maybe. I don't know. Okay, so it's the deepest point in the sea. It's a deep trench in the South Pacific Sea. Okay. That it's it's very deep. It's just in a lot of movies and TV shows and that kind of thing. Like I think they okay. dropped um like old Megatron in the Mariana Trench and oh. I think like Godzilla was down in the Mariana Trench. I'm pretty sure uh Megalodon was in the Mariana Trench. That's that whole story. But anyways, it's the deepest point in the sea. So this is in that region. This this story doesn't necessarily have to do exactly with that, but it's an interesting factoid that we're talking about the same region. So there's a 
a research facility there. And what they did was basically there's all of these microphones under the water scattered all around the ocean. You know, in Asia, uh, South America, the uh, off the coast of the Pacific Northwest. So this was post-World War II, and obviously. And during that time, I guess they had done a bunch of this. Maybe to listen for submarines or something along those lines, I'm not sure. But then science got a hold of it. And so then, long story short, we've got all these microphones under the water. Scientists are using them to listen for sounds of creatures or, you know, kind of whatever they can whatever they can do with them. Who knows? Right. They're scientists. They do what scientists do. They do what scientists do. And they're listening, and they're waiting, and they're watching. All of a sudden, they hear a bloop. And they're like, okay, what the heck is this? And it's different than, than almost anything they've ever heard before. So they're kind of curious about it and get in touch with some other facilities because the, the wavelength of it and other far more technical sound terms that I'm not familiar with, it matched something that was organic. So like an animal type sound or I don't know, just something that that's organic and natural, not something man-made. Right. So then they start communicating with some of these other facilities some as far away as 3,000 miles. And guess what? They're getting it too. They heard it too. Oh, at the same time? At the same time, roughly. So that's why they were getting in touch with these other facilities, because if you have microphones scattered all over the place, you can kind of triangulate where the sound is coming from by calculating when the sound hits the different microphones as it as it travels through the water. Right, that makes so sense. that, you know, in my limited research cuz I've heard this story before and I didn't dig into a ton of the details about like how and when, you know, at, at, like which hour the sound hit which microphone and I don't even know if that information is out there to be honest. But what makes this bloop so crazy is that they heard it 3,000 miles apart. So that's the equivalent of hearing an explosion in the top, like the northwestern corner of Washington in the southeastern corner of Florida. Wow. Like this is a loud sound, an incredibly loud sound. And to put it into perspective, uh, blue whales, it, it's the largest known animal ever to exist on the planet Mm -hmm. and they have an incredibly loud sound that they can make (coughs) yeah good job Chris like that you nailed it but it's got to be louder okay oh my gosh all right I walked into that one I'll accept it um I'm just thankful it wasn't louder than that don't try it again, though. I think I can go louder if you want me no, to. I, no, no, I can no, step no. it up. No, if you not. No, that's okay, Chris. Th- okay. No, thank you. Sure. Thanks, though. Thanks. You sure? No. Okay. No, yeah, I'm. I'm okay. I'm okay. All right. Maybe we could do a separate sound bite and upload that to the Instagram. Okay. Chris doing whale sounds. <laughs> so the blue whale, though, even with with how incredibly loud it can be, usually at the max, at least again from my research. It can be heard like a hundred miles. 
which mm. is still pretty impressive. Mm. I mean, that's a loud noise. Um, and then also, to put it into perspective, the loudest sound ever recorded above water, I believe it was Krakatoa. And that uh, explosion that erupted... That was a, vol- that was a volcano, right? Mm-hmm. It could be heard 3,000 miles away as well, roughly. Wow. Which um, reports, at least that I read, said that even at 3,000 miles, it sounded like a cannon being fired. Wow. Which is crazy. So it's not necessarily a sound that is unheard of, you know, in the in the natural world, but it's a sound that has never been heard otherwise under the water. And then also mm. the fact that it sounded organic um, means that, I don't know, something made an incredibly lar- loud noise and no one really knows what it was. So it's kind of eerie. Um, and there's speculation that it's some kind of giant creature we've never encountered before, or at the very least that it's some kind of um, some kind of creature that's that's really efficient at making noise, but it's a fascinating thing. And there's a lot of documentation. Perhaps would it be the Earth like shifting or cracking or something like that, or was it related to other documentation of the Earth making noise? Mm. Yeah, I mean, there are people that have speculated, I guess, that it was like some kind of ice shelf or something. Mm-hmm. But it's not linked to any known movement or shifting of the Earth. I mean, or obviously if there's like some kind of large underwater volcano, there's a decent chance that somebody would have known and seen it, but not 100%. You know, if that was out in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. Uh, There's so much space out there that easily could have happened. Oh, yeah. At least from what I understand of things. Oh, yeah. There's so um, much we don't understand about the ocean. There's so much mm-hmm. to explore, and, and we're can constantly learning. But it is wild. A blue herd around the world. Blue herd around the world. Can you... <laughs> hey, hey, Chris, I'm going to I'm gonna give you a sample of the bloop. Ready? No, I don't... No, no. Uh, no, no. Don't, be, don't be afraid. Okay, I'm okay. going to do it right into the microphone so the audience can hear it very well. I think okay, you're going to be ready. impressed. Okay, ready? Yep. <laughs> did you hear it it just sounded like a cupboard hit your forehead oh yeah but see that's even too loud go listen <laughs> to it it's you'll be impressed is the the audio is like can you hear it on youtube Do, is it released you can hear it well, well we'll put that we'll put that sound bite right here wow what a bloop I think mine is probably better, but okay. I mean, I can put both. We can compare the two. Yes. Yeah, you <laughs> should put a side-by-side of the two. And we'll put that right here. Hear the difference? Pretty close, right? Pretty spot on. Good job, mm. Jeremiah. Um, so that's the bloop, Chris. It's kind of a mysterious sound. What do you lean towards? Creature, what do you think? I don't know. Um, I mean, honestly, the logical side of my brain tells me it's probably a shift in some kind of tectonic plate or something. But then the excitable cryptid side of me is like, there's got to be something in that trench, man. 
Yeah. Um, and I think it's possible. I've heard other stories of like crazy sea beasts. Um, and if sure. a blue whale can make a noise that travels hundreds yeah. of miles, maybe there is a creature that can yeah. make a noise that travels thousands of miles. But I mean, it would have to be, it would have to be mega, like, which I mean, that's cool. It's fun to think about, but most likely some kind of shifting plates. Maybe it's a giant sea serpent or dinosaur of some kind that was alive during the time and maybe is extinct. And the creature who was more terrifying than any that had come before gave one final and mighty bloop. (laughs) (laughs) Behold the bloop, the bloop to stop all others. Maybe it was the Kraken. Kraken, a cold one. Yeah. So that is the bloop. That's all I got for you today, Chris. Perfect. The bloop heard round the world. That was fascinating. And uh, yeah, that is the end of what we have for you guys. Thanks again for listening to the Unnerved Banter. If you hear an airplane right now, it's because uh, I apparently am near an airport. My shack is near an airport. So sorry about that. But um, but yeah, that's going to do it for the banter this week. And if you guys would like to get a hold of us, leave us a message. We'd really love to hear from you. And just to say hi, or if you want us to touch on a topic or anything like that. Um, yeah, you can reach us at our voicemail, which is found at speakpipe.com forward slash the unnerved podcast. And we'll definitely put the link to that in the show notes, as well as all of our socials, you know, Instagram, great way to see the photos of each episode of things related to what we're talking about, people who are interviewed in the stories. All that stuff is there on our Instagram. Anything else I'm forgetting, Jeremiah? Mm. Follow us on MySpace. On MySpace. Yes. Very important. Lots of people there. It's coming back. Well, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me back on. Look forward to the next time. Yeah, for sure. Always a good time. <laughs>